Hello, and welcome to Evaluland, the podcast about the land of evaluation between you and me, your host, Dana Linnell Wanzer. This is the show where we interview people about any and all things evaluation related. Welcome to another episode of Evaluand. This week, I'm chatting with Jennifer Kuma, Senior Manager of Operations and Client Delivery at Glass Frog. She's also co-host of the Glass Frog podcast, another evaluation podcast, one I am so happy I've had the pleasure to be a guest on. She has more than 15 years of consulting and project management experience, which I'm excited to delve into in our second episode on project management in evaluation. So welcome to the podcast, Jen. Thank you so much, Dana. Thanks for taking the time to have me. And um, it's so good to see you again. Yeah, it's good to see you too. Yeah. And thank you so much for coming on. Uh, I know we talked a little bit before we started recording, but I feel like we could have a dozen episodes on project management and still have so much to learn. So I appreciate you also coming on to share your wealth of experience with our listeners. My pleasure. So before we jump into that, can you maybe spend a moment to introduce yourself to our listeners? Tell us about your evaluation background, what you currently do and so on. Oh, yeah, I'd be happy to. So obviously, my name is Jen Puma. I use she, her pronouns. I work for an organization called Glass Frog Solutions, which is a a unique name, I know, but we do program evaluation. Um, We're an LLC, um, you know, very small shop. We're based in the New York City metro area. Um, In addition to myself and the founder, we have um, two other employees. So, my context, uh, it's worth knowing that we kind of do everything from soup to nuts. You know, when you're a four person shop, there's, uh, it's pretty flat and, you know, everyone rolls up their sleeves and, and, you know, humility is, is key. So we, we all, we do it all. Um, personally, I'm, I'm based in Brooklyn and the work that we do at Glass Frog, um, we work mostly with small nonprofits, though not exclusively. We do have some national clients um, like Easter Seals and Teach for America, um, but the bulk of our um, kind of portfolio is is small to mid-sized nonprofits that often are in the education space. I think just sort of happened that way that like education is sort of like always been first to the, you know, um, front with, um, evaluating. <laughs> so they're, you know, that's their, their jam. And so I think, um, early on, uh, a lot of our clients became, or were started out as, as education clients, but we do have clients in the mental health space, um, uh, workforce, um, development space, um, mental health. Um, so we have like a smattering of clients in a few other areas, but the bulk are education. And, um, I work with, um, mixed methods researchers, but my background is in management consulting and project management. So a little bit different perspective I bring to the work, um, than my colleagues, I call them the brain trust, uh, cause they, they do the smart people work, um, or sometimes like they're the head and I'm the heart, even though I do the project management stuff, it's like, they kind of live in this like more rarefied air of like thinking conceptually about how designs work. And I'm like, yeah, but how's it going to work? Like, what's it going to what's, what's that going to be like on the ground? Um, and so a big part of my, the reason that, um, Rebecca, my boss brought me on is because, um, I have this very like practical experience and really what we're trying to do, um, with glass frog. And the reason it was started by our founder, Rebecca Casciano is that she really wanted to take, um, her, um, academic training as a researcher and apply it in the real world and bring her skills to a space where, um, often nonprofits are 
unless they have big budgets for evaluation, like there's not a lot of opportunity for them to kind of build their evaluation muscles unless you're with like these like really big firms. And so she wanted very intentionally to work in this space where we are working with like smaller to mid-sized nonprofits and trying to get them out into that like second stage, you know, where they're like, they have maybe a foundation they've been working for like, you know, five, maybe even 10 years, sometimes even a little bit longer, but they're trying to like get out to that next space and they need evaluation to, to kind of do it, to show the efficacy of their program yeah. so they can grow and scale. So that's kind of the space we work in. And um, there are two big umbrellas to our work. Um, one is independent evaluators. So we can kind of come in and play that very traditional role. Um, and then the other is evaluation capacity building. So theories of change, measurement frameworks, um, different data management tools, like very practical um, uh, tools that are very bespoke to whatever the client needs, what, wherever they are at. Um, that's what we kind of help them with. So that's more the consultative type of work that we do. And that's especially where a lot of my uh, project management expertise comes in. So as the senior manager of operations and client delivery. It's like a very big title, but it basically means I, I like wear two hats. I kind of like help us as a small business, like run. And then also um, I use my project management skills to apply it to either those independent evaluations that we do where they're often multi-year, I'm sorry, multi-year, multi-site. And so um, you might, we might be managing research assistants. Like they're just, you know, there's a lot that can happen in those years where you're, you go from, hey, this is the proposal we wrote about the, you know, how we're going to evaluate this program. And then like the real world happens, like, especially for education programs and, and nothing has shown us more than the, than the pandemic, like how disruptive, you, you know, just, we already know that education spaces are very fluid. There's a lot that's happening. There's a lot that parents and kids and teachers are all bringing into the classroom every day. And then of course, with the pandemic that was like made painfully clear. So um, basically, um, my job is to, you know, kind of roll with those real world punches and then think about what's the impact on our, um, research design. And, and can we still answer the questions that we've set out to answer given the real world? And so we make adjustments always based on the real world and never based on our research, you know, whims and desires. So, right. um, so I help with that. And then I also apply my skills mostly in the areas of theories of change and measurement frameworks. Um, so I've, I've kind of built like a real niche around, around that kind of work. So, um, those at a, like a high level, it's sort of the work that we do, the clients we work with and like the role that I play, um, in our little glass frog family. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for some context of, of your role in, in, in the work you do at glass frog. Am I hearing correctly that you also maybe help your clients learn those project management skills as well? Or is that correct? Sometimes it kind of depends on uh, always like very dependent on the project. Um, we have done some work where we are helping say a new like early career um, internal evaluator kind of get their footing um, and like helping them to set up the systems for being able to um, run their in-house evaluations. And so um, that's like a little bit of a blend of like the evaluation, but also like project management of evaluation. And so we have done that. I wish that there was more, um, you know, with funding being so tight, um, 
the project management side of things is always so lean, but it ends up being like one of the things that can kind of make or break like the evaluation. And so we try to just be judicious about it, whether it's in our own planning um, of a project or when we're trying to scope a project, try to hear what systems do you have in place? Like what, whether that's staffing, whether that's um, the, the actual data systems themselves, like, are you working totally off of Google Sheets? Like, are you, does, is everything in 20 different places? You know, trying to just get a sense of the landscape so that again, as always, it's all good. You know, there's no judgment. You could have Salesforce and not know what to do with it, or you could have spreadsheets and you could be doing an awesome job. So it, you know, it's all welcome. It's all good. But, um, where it sounds like there, that the systems sometimes are, um, maybe not as robust as they could be like, then we might try to recommend that and see if that flies, you know, like fingers crossed (laughs) in in the contract scope and you know, sometimes it sticks and sometimes it doesn't. <laughs> oh, awesome. I actually, you, you mentioned that you came with, like you were brought into GlassFrog because of your project management, business consulting expertise, right? Could you talk a little bit about that training and background that, that you brought in? Like, where did you get it? How'd you learn all that type of stuff? Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, I am not the first person to say that I've taken a certain circuitous route to, uh, evaluation. I, I like, uh, so, um, <laughs> this, my, my story is my own, you know, but I know that I'm not the only one that kind of comes to this work in kind of a roundabout way. So, um, I, I I'm going to go like way, way back and just say that like, when I, uh, graduated college, I was like, I'm going to do nonprofit arts management. Like that's, that's what I want to do. And I wanted to be in the art space. And I worked in New York at a um, museum uh, after college and then September 11th happened and it was a very stressful time to be in the city and like obviously be in the city on that day. And then just the city was like economically just like sort of decimated after September 11th. And so during that year that I worked in the city, I was like, okay, I, like I have to get out. Um, (laughs) and so I used, um, I had almost applied to grad school straight out of college, but I was like, no, I want to like get some experience. I want to get real world experience. And then I was like, no, I'm going back. So I got my master's in public administration at, um, the Maxwell school of citizenship and public affairs. And that program at Syracuse is actually only one year. It's like one full calendar intense Mm -hmm. year, like you know, and uh, beginning of July to like the end of June, but you do like summer session, fall center session, winter session, spring session, another summer session. And like, they they pack it all in. So I I did that. And actually my boss, Rebecca was in that program with me. So that is also important to know. And so then she went on to get her PhD and I was like looking for a job. I wanted to come back to New York and do the, you know, the nonprofit thing. And it was still just so, so hard to get into the space um, at that point, because no one was like really hiring, but who was hiring was like a ton of management consulting firms in the DC metro area, because after that time, we had cabinet level agencies that had never been developed before getting stood up. So Department of Homeland Security, Transportation Security Administration. And so they were, it was just this confluence of, you know, societal events and the fact that I was like, you know, they just need like young blood at that point, like they need young 
young upstarts to like come and, and do this work. So I knew nothing. I, I got it. I got a job in DC and moved down. And that's where I really got my professionalization in terms of consulting and, and was able to sort of cut my teeth. It was, it ended up being in a, in a field that like I was not passionate about, which was um, information technology and, and then eventually information security. So like, I am not the IT like person, but I was the <laughs> IT girl. Like, and, and so, but what was attractive during that time was it felt very mission oriented. Like there was a lot of fervor at that time of like really trying to do work that would keep people safe. Um, even if it was like, once removed in the form of consulting. But um, the longer I stayed in the work um, and I never wanted to get technical. So I kept doing more and more project management. Um, it, I got more and more removed from the missions of, of any of the organizations I worked with. So I, I worked with many wonderful organizations, Veterans Affairs, Health and Human Services. Um, like I, I really didn't enjoy digging into the mission of that particular government agency. But then the longer I stayed in it, the, you know, the more kind of like bureaucracy you're, you're left with. And so eventually like, I don't know now, 14 or so years after I've lost track of the math, but I, I had to take a sabbatical. It was like a confluence of like health issues I was having and just feeling like also just super despondent of like, what is this it? Like, do I just kind of keep, I was feeling really stagnant because I either had to like kind of work and do more to like grow the business of consulting um, or kind of pick something else. And so I was at this real crossroads. And so I took a sabbatical so that I didn't look like I was just quitting my job with, <laughs> with <laughs> nothing. And cause, but basically I was quitting my job with nothing. And then I reached out to my network and I was like, I just did this thing and I just left my job and I don't know what I'm doing, but uh, if you guys know of anything, <laughs> uh, you know, like, I think I, I, I want to go back to like, I want to do nonprofit work, but I, I don't know how to do that yet because I've had like too much time in, in consulting and to, you know, like I knew that if I were to just try to get my foot in the door in the nonprofit space, I quite honestly, I wouldn't understand the space. I, mm -hmm. you know, I couldn't expect to come in. I, I, I knew even then I was like, I know nothing and I can't just come in and say, well, I've worked at this big fancy consulting firm and with these big government agencies. And so like, how hard can it be? But I was like, I, I know nothing <laughs> and like, except that. And, um, but, you know, and I was sort of agnostic in terms of like what mission area I wanted to work in. And so then Rebecca had reached out and said, you know, I could really use some help um, because I just got this project and it's going to be like a year and a half and it's in rural Mississippi and I, I, I need help. And so I was like, and she was like, you know, we've taken, she knew that we'd taken program evaluation courses in our undergrad, but it was like just scratching the surface. But she was like, you haven't had to use that knowledge in so many years. So like, I'll help you brush back up on it, but like we have like a certain level of trust and you know, that relationship was there that she was like, you bring your expertise and I'll bring my expertise. And she was like, and running a small business, she was like, you know, I'm an academic, like I, you know, so, Hey, anything you can help me with is fair game too. And so that was kind of the relationship that we went into this with, with like her knowing that, like, I wanted to learn more about the nonprofit space, learn about the challenges, learn about um, the players in the space, um, 
what skills are needed, just, you know, any, anything and everything. And so since 2014 for like the last seven and a half years, I, I keep learning, but just on the job. And so I've been so, so grateful that, um, she trusted me and I, I had that network to like get my foot in the door. Um, but during my time in consulting, um, I had not only through just all of the many, many projects that I worked on and the staff that I managed, um, I also formally got my uh, PMP, um, which is your project management professional certification. And there's like quite a bit that goes into having to do that. You need credit hours, you take this big long test, and then you're like certified for a number of years. Um, and I had that certification when I came over to Glass Frog, but I let it lapse because it honestly was in the nonprofit space, it didn't seem to be the same requirement that like in mm -hmm. the government space, when you're getting bid on projects, they want to know like, you know, how many of your staff have PMPs. And so in that space, that credential really matters. And so um, I'm like iffy on whether how important the credential is, you know, it's, you know, there's some pluses and minuses to it, but I did let it lapse. But I, at one time I was PMP certified. <laughs> was, it, was it through that certification process that you learned most of how to be a good project management manager? Is it through your job? Where, where did that skill training come from? I think it's 50, 50 for me. I mean, I think on the, there's a lot to be said for on the job, but that it gave me terminology for the things that I was doing that I, I did not know. Um, and so it helped me understand that at any given point in time, there's, you're always balancing like three tensions on a project, like time, money, and, and staff, like, you know, human resources. And so if you're going to pull on one of those things, it's going to affect one of the, the, the other sides of that triangle. So if you want it done faster, it, you're going to affect, you know, money or people like you got to add people, you got to add money. And so, yes, I had seen that, but then to kind of visualize this triangle and understand that we're constantly playing with these tensions. I was like, oh yes, of course. Um, and the, like another um, really poignant term that I remember still from that training is um, something called progressive elaboration. And this sounds like a very fancy term. And all it means is we, we know more now than we did when we started this project. And it has stuck with, because basically you go, you, you have your contract, you scope your project and you, you know what you know at that point. Think about any, anything you've ever done. Do you know more at the end than you did at the beginning? Yes. You're nodding yeah. vigorously, like a hundred percent. Like, so, and that is progressive elaboration. And so we kick ourselves often. I mean, even in life too, I, I apply this, like, you know, it's almost like hindsight's 2020. Like we, we know more now than we did then. And that's just because like progressive elaboration, things unfold and that's just how life works. And so, uh, it gave a term for something that happens. And of course, when you're particularly in the space I was playing with in, um, with government consulting, they, the client always wants to minimize like that disconnect of like progressive elaboration, you know, what, what's it going to cost me now that, you know, you, we know X, Y, and Z. Um, but it can be really useful to think about that because I think so often, like when people are trying to improve on their internal processes for doing things, like just know it's, it, it, you're only going to be able to do so much in the beginning expect that there's going to be new information that comes to light 
And then it's so, so important then to do um, reflection and brief outs and, and go back and say, okay, what did we learn that we didn't know before? And so it, yes, it helps the next time you'll never get, get away from progressive elaboration. You're, oh, it's always going to happen. And so those, um, those two concepts like really stood out to me, I guess I think they like, they're just life concepts that I was like, I, I get it. Like, yeah. if you're even going to manage a project in your house, like you're, you know, you need to fix your bathroom. You want to redo your kitchen, even like think time, money, <laughs> people like, you know, so I, I, I think of those things often in like other aspects too. I think that's why it's been so important. So, so, uh, the certification was helpful, um, to put some terms to things that I was like seeing on the ground, but, um, lived experience, I think, especially when it comes to project management is, is so important. Like, I really think that you can, I don't want to say get by, that sounds like it's, I don't know, invalidating in some way, but I, I think that you can, maybe people don't think of themselves as project managers. Maybe, maybe that's what it is that sometimes they might feel like, well, I'm not trained in this and this is not what I do, but I think to some extent, we really all are project managers and yeah. we can embrace that. And you can really just use the projects that you've worked on as your training ground. I think that's absolutely valid. Right. Like at a most basic level, like we have multiple areas of our lives that we're trying to juggle and manage that yeah. within work, we're probably going to have multiple things. If you're a student, you have multiple classes and projects to manage and how effective are you in managing the, you know, time, money, maybe money is not necessarily for, for some cases, um, right. but, and the people, and how do you make those all balance and work together in a way that uh, maintains your own sanity at the same time. Right. <laughs> Mm -hmm. You're right. We're all managers of our own like project. That is life. So <laughs> in that regard, like, and we're, and we're doing that on the job training, like that's <laughs> yeah. none of us know what we're doing. And so <laughs> this is our, our go at it. And maybe we, you know, we've got our professional development. We learn some things along the way. We have our podcasts that we listen to and, yep. you know, the books we read and stuff to try to shore up some of the systems of our life. But I think it's in many ways, uh, similar. Yeah. And the term was progressive elaboration. Was that it? Yeah. yeah. Progressive. I, I like it because uh, it emphasizes that not only are, are, we cannot just start the project, manage it at the beginning and then let it go and be happy, right? It's an ongoing iterative process, but also that there's this reflective aspect. So that next time when the new project starts, we can start with just a little bit more knowledge um, that can help us in managing that new project, right? Um, so kind of thinking about the fact that this is like an ongoing thing, I'm wondering if we could maybe talk about like, what does project management look like from, from soup to nuts, right? From the start yeah. to the end. And how does like, how, how do you approach it? What are some of the things that you use or how you think about this? Mm -hmm. It's a great question. And I would like to underscore the importance of the scoping period mm -hmm. on any evaluation project. So I'm thinking, I, I don't know if your audience is like more on the practitioner side or maybe more on the academic side, but I would say that regardless of maybe where you sit, like if you're even a student still, or, or maybe like you 
have your PhD and like you're a full-fledged researcher, um, you really want to think about how you can learn as much as possible at the outset about what you might encounter down the line. And that will make the management of the project a little bit easier because like sometimes the hardest part about managing the project is the unknowns that come up. And so again, progressive elaboration, we won't be able to account for all of that. Um, but through often through our ex experience and then our own failures, uh, we learn like, oh, what are the questions I should be asking to like better understand what this research design might look like, what this um, consulting, you know, uh, capacity building project might look like. Um, so I'll probably talk about this more so from like the consultative side of things, because that's really my, my jam. Um, but I think that this is applicable to, to um, even in academic settings when you're trying to figure out, okay, what is, uh, what, what's the population, you know, that we can, um, what, what's our end? Like, what, what does that look like? What are the characteristics of this population? If I need a comparison group, okay, what do I really need to know about how the program is rolling out? and who you're targeting in the program to really understand what are the characteristics of a comparison group that we would need to be looking for. So I think of those, those are design components. Yes, but that's also part of your scoping. Cause like, if you can't, if you don't think about that in advance, you won't really be able to think about how much time is it going to take you to do, to, to figure that out? Or can you even procure a, you know, identify a comparison group? Like, is it even feasible. So even though, yes, like that's a research design thing, I also kind of think of it as a, a, a project management aspect as well, like maybe in the broader umbrella sense. So just for, for those out there that might feel like this isn't, um, isn't applicable, but at the scoping stage for you know, just for context, that's usually happening where we're having a conversation with a client. They come to us either because they they know us because um, we have an existing relationship or they've been referred to us or, you know, we apply for something and then they're like interviewing us. But we're trying to learn as much as possible about um, the context and the color of the evaluation uh, of that evaluation project, not just the evaluation itself, because the the kind of color will and context will illuminate sometimes some red flags to even say like, is this a project we should be doing? Right. Like, are we the best people for this? Like maybe somebody else is better suited um, or maybe they're not ready. And right. like, quite honestly, we should just, uh, you know, jump ship now because this is like not the right fit. And, and, you know, we, and so in the beginning, it was hard for us as a small business to have like the maturity and the sense of self to say no, you know, to think like we're interviewing the client as much as they're interviewing us. And so that's been a, like a lesson learned down the line, but that scoping stage is so, so important for the success of the project and being able to like manage really expectations. It's not just about hitting deadlines, but just like, what is it that, what's the real need? Um, and so um, at this, at that scoping stage, you, one important thing that you, I think you need to listen for is sort of like what the client is saying that they need and maybe like what they think they need versus like what you 
maybe hear that they need. Um, so like when you asked earlier, Dana, like, does, does it, does your work include like, you know, providing support with project management? Like no client has ever come to us and said like, we need help with our project management. <laughs> like right. said no one ever, you know, yeah. <laughs> like we can like hear between the lines, like maybe you need some help with like this too. And like, we would, we would recommend this. So we're at that scoping stage, like, because again, like that will determine like how successful is this project going to be? Like when we're kind of whatever executing on whatever, like, is it going to be usable for them afterwards? Is it going to be, you know, something that's going to get put in a drawer? Like, we, you know, we want to avoid that. We like want the work to be meaningful. So when we're scoping, um, you know, we're kind of listening for um, any signs that like the client may not be at the right stage for um, a certain project. We're listening for like who really is the sponsor for this um, work. Cause like, then it wouldn't be like evaluation for evaluation's sake or research for research's sake. Like, is it a board member that's really like pushing it? And, you know, is it a, a funder is, you know, like, again, like what is that context? Cause it will tell us like how invested this person in, are, are they just going through the motions and they really don't care about it? Or do they have a lot riding on this? Like what, you know, so the, I would say like really when starting the project management starts before you get the project, <laughs> like at that, that's that scoping stage. And I think Elizabeth Grimm had mentioned this on her pot uh, when, when you guys spoke, but um, she talked about, I, I'm not going to use her words exactly, but basically like having enough time for like that background um, stage, like, like the information gathering mm -hmm. stage. And so you kind of have to ride this fine line between like getting spending so much time, like trying to gather information that you're like annoying them. And like, you're not moving on with right. like the contract and like yeah. the work, but, um, also, uh, honoring the fact that like, you kind of need to know what they know and you need to like, um, start to gather some of that institutional knowledge. So often in our projects, um, we will intentionally build in, a um, project discovery phase, unless it's an existing client and, and like, we really just like, that would be inappropriate, but more often than not, there's some level of project discovery. Um, and then another like helpful hint for folks out there during the project scoping phase is we sometimes build in, or we do this kind of almost all the time, to, I would say, yeah, more often than not, we build in time for ad hoc meetings. Hmm which is like just a line item for like, you know, it can be a little arbitrary depending on the, the length of the project. So if it's going to be a six month project, maybe we'll have two or three ad hoc meetings. If it's like, if it promises to be like an 18 month project, maybe we'll have like 10, but we're building in a bucket of time for like two people to attend 10 extra meetings because inevitably like things just crop up. So that can be, um, you know, that was not something we thought to do until we kept getting like burned on our projects where we're constantly over budget. I mean, we were still, there's always more work to be done there, <laughs> but, um, you may even want to consider, um, building in not just time for project discovery, like so that you're billing for it. And I do think that that's reasonable. Like, I don't 
think that clients would totally expect you, especially if you don't know them to just come in and like know the organization. So do feel empowered to put some small, reasonable amount of time that you, that you feel makes sense for project discovery and then ad hoc meetings just, Mm -hmm. and, and you can say, depending on the contract type, we don't have to bill for this. If we don't use it, we won't bill for it. Um, but it, but it's there. And so another tool that you can use kind of early on is like when you're setting up your contract, um, is like kind of deciding whether or not the contract type is going to be what we call time and material or firm fixed price. Um, and those are kind of like lofty to, you know, like, again, that's the kind of term, the PMP terminology, and there's other even categories, but those are like the two big buckets. And so it's sort of what it sounds like, like firm fixed price, like, you know, we are just going to charge you X, no matter how much we actually spend on this project or time and materials, uh, saying like, uh, we're going to bill you for the time we spend. And then say you, you know, materials, like say you had to produce a report and maybe like print copies or something like that. And, you know, you're charging for the, the materials portion. Um, a related category that we use frequently is um, time and materials with a ceiling, which mm-hmm. means like you just put a cap on uh, how much time you can bill because um, that way cost doesn't run away. You know, there, there's some assurance that the, the bill won't go above X amount. And so it really has to do with risk. Um, So it's worth mentioning, like you want to think about the project and the fact that like in a a firm fixed price contract, the consultant is really absorbing all of the risk there. It's like great for the client because they know exactly what it's going to cost. But if through progressive elaboration, you, you know, realize that more is warranted or it's taking more time or it's more complicated than you thought it was going to be. Um, the consultant, you could really get burned on firm fixed price, unless it's something that you feel so confident in that you feel like you've done it a million times that you can automate that you, you know, there's really not a lot that can um, surprise you, then maybe firm fixed prices is appropriate. Um, um, I'm not gonna say it's never appropriate, but often for consulting projects, it's not um, and we do time and materials with a ceiling so that we're giving us a little bit of wiggle room um, and then making sure, but managing. And so that's where the risk is a little bit more on the client. But when you add that ceiling, you're saying, hey, we're not going to go above X. And so they, when you add that ceiling in, it gives like um, the shared sense of like, I know what the price is going to be, but then we also on our end as the consultants have to manage to that with some buffer. And so then if things happen like, Hey, we built in more time for meetings and we actually didn't use it. Okay, great. We don't, we don't have to bill for it. And we were under our ceiling or we didn't use it on meetings, but it took us longer to write the report that we thought we did, you know, so have a little bit of flexibility. So those are just some things I wanted to call out upfront because they are like very, project management e (laughs) things that like, um, may not have names, um, it for, for others who haven't like, uh, like quote studied, uh, project management. Um, especially if you're trained, um, as a researcher, you may not think like, oh, I have two different choices of contracts. Maybe you're doing it intuitively, but you don't know that, you know? So, um, I would mention those things at the outset. So scoping is really important. And then in terms of like how to manage projects, we don't do it a uniform way um, because it 
really depends so much on like the client, the style, the length of the engagement. There's like many, many variables. And it's not to say that you can't manage every project the same, but um, for us, we've just found that some clients like they want it and then like some just don't. And so we kind of, again, meet them where, where they're at. Um, in some cases, I will say we've opted, uh, and I'll mention this as an example in case it's useful for anyone. Um, there was uh, a longstanding client that we had that went underwent like a big transformation in the bit in the middle of our work with them. It was a multi-year project and they had a big reorganization. Um, they ended up having a bunch of staff leave. And then the folks that were left, um, their roles were going to be changing. And so we were all left to like collectively being like, okay, we have to finish this work. We all don't know what this looks like, but this is the budget we have. And they were really gracious. They were like, this stinks where you've been great partners, but like, this is all we've been given with this reorg and we have to like finish out this work. So how can we do this work in a way that is, um, uh, that we're doing a quality job, um, but like we're, we're open for ideas kind of thing. So one of the things that we did was actually focus on project management tools to like have as a, we did like a shared project management plan that I kept updated. It was like a log of all the conversations with all the different partners and it like alleviated, like we had a shared understanding that, okay, we're not going to have status meetings. We're not going to like, we're going to go to this plan. Like the commitment is I will keep it up to date. And then we, we just sort of like worked more efficiently, but it was like a very conscious um, collaborative effort. And they were like, okay, we're not going to do certain things. You're going to, we're going to trust you to do things because we had this relationship. And so then we re that was a case where we really leaned into project management tools and kind of shaped them to the engagement to like almost be lean and be like really transparent and like, be like, okay, yeah, we see it all and we don't need to meet and we don't, and we're going to let you run with it. So sometimes, um, the project management side of things if you really want to lean into it, it can end up being like a way to almost be more lean than you might otherwise think, but you got to give up some things in return, like touch points and things like that. So we, we have leaned into it and pivoted. Um, otherwise the tools that we use, um, we don't use like a, a proprietary software that then others can't have access to. Cause like a lot of our clients are, right. you know, like they're not going to have licenses for, um, really like savvy tools like Monday and all this, you know, all this stuff. So, you know, we, we do good old fashioned spreadsheets and I'm interested if other people have other tools that they use, but like we found that sometimes like the simpler, the better, and just go with, with something that they can open with one click that they know. I think Elizabeth said, and we've said it of our clients, like, uh, some even hate to open a spreadsheet to, to begin with. Yeah. Like they don't, they don't want to <laughs> like, like I hit the Excel button. There's like a very funny John Oliver, um, clip that I always send out where he's like, we opened Excel. No, no, close, <laughs> shut it down. You know? So sometimes we use Excel for like, or Google sheets for like really word processing type things. Right. And that's like the safest way to get clients to open, um, to open up Excel. So yeah, this is um, a, a, a long way of, 
of getting to the fact that like, this is, it's very customized. It really depends yeah. on the client. Um, simpler is better. And there can be instances where you lean into the project management side of things to um, be more lean on, on the project. But I think that that would really come with like um, a trusted relationship. And I, I don't know that that would just work out the gate with like, anyone you didn't have like an established relationship with. Right. And I've had enough experience trying to implement like new tools. Like I haven't used Monday, but like ClickUp or Basecamp and all those things that everybody needs to be on board. If you're going to do something like that, otherwise it's just, it's not going to work. Right. Asana is another one. Like these are all like great proprietary tools, but then it's like, everybody's got to be on the tool. <laughs> yeah. And they're also tool specific, right? And and so you have to learn the unique aspects of that tool. You have to figure out the systems and processes that everybody's going to agree upon of how to use that tool. And a lot of them are just really complicated. I, I tried ClickUp myself for a while and I I you know ended up leaving it because I was like my good old fashioned to-do list and to-doist is perfectly sufficient for me. Like, I don't need anything else. Um, I mean, I'm just a team of one, but still it was just like simpler was better. Yeah. And we always ask clients at the start of an engagement, like, what are your preferred ways of working? And, you know, like, how can we like embed ourselves into the ways that you already work that you know, and that can mean, and then they're like, well, what what do you mean by that? And and I say, well, (laughs) maybe you're someone that loves a text message. Like maybe you thrive on that and you're just like, you know what, just text me. Maybe you're someone who loves Slack. Um, Maybe um, you use like, I don't know if Gchat still is in existence, maybe, you know, but like, like, yeah, (laughs) something like that, you know, like, um, or, or just email. or just email. Maybe you're like, I will address all the emails or, you know what, I have too many emails. Like, let's just set up a call, you know? So they were like, oh, okay. So when, you know, then you'll get like five people on a call and like these, these ones want to use Slack and this. And so we just say, okay, I'll add you. We can add you as a guest to our Slack channel. So we just, if you want to ping us really quickly on anything, like we have that. Um, and we just try to tailor it, you know, like for, for, and then like some people on the team, it's like, you know what, we're just going to schedule a meeting. Like, yeah, that's the best way to just like get that person's undivided attention. So, um, we, we do yield to our clients and always ask them, like, is there there anything that you prefer that we use? We're happy to get on board with that more often than not though. Um, it's more just about like their, the idiosyncratic ways in which they work and trying to like embed into that and let less about tools. I'm curious. Um, you have so many great questions that that arise during your scoping period, right? Of getting to know the organization, getting to know the evaluation context, understanding whether this is a good fit or not, all these things. Do you have like a structured onboarding process for new clients that you use? Do you have like a list of these questions or is this something that like it's comes through your experience and you just kind of know like, oh, it sounds like we need to ask this question right now. Yeah, it's a good point. We now have a list of questions. We didn't always have a list of <laughs> questions. And I think that list, I have to go back to it um, and see, I'll be honest that I think it it had its origin somewhere else. I didn't totally create it from scratch, mm. but I think I had seen 
something that I was like, oh, this is like the questions that we ask in our scoping work. And then I, I like turned it into something that was useful for us internally. Right. So I'd have to dig it up. Um, and I can even share it with you if that's something that's useful to share out because like, it's not proprietary to us. And to the extent that like, this can be useful for someone else and you're not recreating the wheel, go for it. Like I'm all for it. Um, so I'll make a, a, a note to share, share that out with you, but yeah, we awesome. have one that we just, you know, and again, we're kind of using it on the back, on, on the back end. We're not putting this barrier up when we're like in a conversation with a client initially, especially one that we don't know. Right. Where we're, Here's my 20 like, questions. Question, go yeah. Like quick. coming yeah. across, like we're like <laughs> not building a relationship or a partner, but, but right. like a partnership. That's what we right. want. But yeah, we, we do want to ask these questions so that we have s- some level of comfort that, like I said earlier, that we're even the right fit. Because I think sometimes like one of the things that we've inadvertently learned or that maybe that I've learned because I'm not a trained researcher is that there are different approaches to, to work. Um, there's like different, um, the word I want is kind of escaping me right now, but like, just, I don't want to say ideologies, but like you, you can have like either a more participatory approach or you can have, um, uh, I, I don't want to call it a more like um, extractive approach. That's not what we want, but like, you know, there are different sort of like ways to approach evaluation. And so you want to kind of like see where a client is at to make sure like, are we the best fit? Like maybe you need something that's like totally different than what our skill set and our training can offer. And so we don't want to um, assume that we're the right ones. And like, sometimes we can like pass them off to somebody else that might be a really good fit for them. Nice. So um that's the other thing that we're kind of like, yeah, like listening for when we're asking these questions is to make sure that we are a good partner, but we don't want to go into it. Like it's this interview and we're like putting this wall between us, um, like right at the outset. Cause that's like very off-putting for sure. So I think we've covered a little bit about the scoping, the discovery phase, that initial kind of getting to know clients in terms of project management. What, what does it look like now? Like evaluation is ongoing. You've agreed contracts written up, you're moving forward, maybe into data collection and so on. What, what does project management look at that point? Yeah, at that point, and, and again, we build this into scoping, but like we really advocate for at least monthly meetings, um, because we need to have that regular touch point to really understand what's going on behind the scenes that we may not be privy to. Like, even if the program looks like it's like rolling out and we're working um, maybe exclusively with like the, the folks that are the on the ground implementers, it's really helpful to have a meeting with like, say one level up from that. um, And the, the folks that are in the weeds um, implementing a project so that we can understand and keep tabs on like just other things that are on their mind. And what we, in addition to like kind of listening for, um, I guess like elements of the, of their program that might affect the evaluation, like, oh, we're, oh, you know what, this relationship with the school fell through the principal pulled out because they had this big issue in the school and now we're actually not going to be in there. And so like, it's helpful to know, you know, to have a regular touch point. Cause then we have this space where it's like, 
Hey, what's going on for you guys? Like what, you know, like we could just, we wouldn't know to ask that because you don't know what you don't know, but like you have to make an intentional space right. every month to check in. Um, and the other thing that I like to do um, in those spaces too, is like kind of following the trajectory of the project, kind of check in with them on where they're at. So like if they're in this phase where they're recruiting schools or, you know, recruiting partners, not because it necessarily, I mean, yes, it will affect the evaluation, but just like, how are they feeling? You know, like how is recruitment going, you know, maybe for the next year and we're in the middle of this year and, and like contextualizing their world, like, okay, we're in the middle of this evaluation, middle of this program year. Hey, aren't you guys already thinking about next year? How's that going for you? What does that feel like? You know? And so it's really a space too to like, keep tabs on like just what's going on for them into, you know, as an organization. And then even individually, sometimes like, it's like, yeah, I was out, like I have a sick family member and, you know, you want to know what's, what's going on for them personally, because it's not just about like the work that we're doing, but like everyone is bringing their whole selves yeah. to their work. I mean, there's, there's, no, I'm really glad that like, we're hopefully leaving this misconception behind that, like we show up to work and that's like our work self. Mm -hmm. And then we have like our home selves and our friend, you know, friend selves and family selves. And like, those don't enter the equation. No, like 110% no. And so the ongoing project management and like just having something as simple as a, as a, check-in meeting built into your, your scope and your budget, how you run that meeting <laughs> is important. Like, so having the meeting and then like, what do you do with that meeting? And so part of it is like checking in on, yes, the project, but like checking in personally, like yeah. what's, what's going on. Um, when a project or a, a program cycle is like wrapping up, um, you know, just using that really informally to say, yeah, like the, the program year is wrapping up. Is there anything that like surprised you about this year? Um, you know, anything that you were like really pleased with or not pleased with? And so that might sound like it's almost like something that would go in the evaluation report, but it gives us, us a sense of like where the team is at and how they feel which we do then take into consideration when we're presenting our findings so that we're like, say, not being overly negative if there are no findings or, you know, if implementation was really hard because you couldn't be in classrooms and everything was remote and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. You know, like there are some bright spots and to hear from their perspective what they thought those were, what they thought the challenges were. You can just kind of keep that in the back of your mind because it will give you like some perspective for like how they might even receive the findings that you um, present to them. Or if there is something that you're seeing in the data that sort of corroborates how they feel, you can draw on that and like create connection in the course of presenting the, the data. So it's um, informal in, in some ways, but it's, um, these are like stylistic things that I've started to do now that I understand the work of evaluation, you know, and I like understand the, 
the substantive that substantive content and then marrying it with the program management piece of like okay like we have to have check-in meetings we have to produce xyz de deliverables but like we will have check-in meetings like <laughs> check 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 okay but like okay now how do we do this in a way that's like authentic that it's in connection with each other that it's uh hopefully in partnership and not you know, like this add on and feeling very divorced. So I think during the, it's the, the, as it's going, it's, it's pretty simple. It's like probably just check-in meetings and like, maybe if there's a shared project management tool that you're updating. Um, but to the extent that like you can maintain connection through emails, through the meetings themselves, I think that's really critical. Cause like if something changes, then you should hopefully know about it when it changes, not three weeks, four weeks, or, or maybe not know about it at all, you know? Mm -hmm. And then if something's going on for a client personally, and so maybe then you know why you're not hearing from them, or you know if the work needs to slow down um, because they've got some other things that are more important that they really need to tend to and and kind of like be, uh, let the work unfold in, a, in then like a realistic way. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So it, it, it's like deceptively simple. Like, I feel like I'm not providing you with like, <laughs> these are, this is a suite of tools. Like these are great things, to, you know, like the, these are all these like nuances of like great things or tips and tricks, but like, it's, um, I think it's so much about connection, like yeah. simplicity connection well, yeah. always project management isn't ever going to be boiled down to a checklist, right? I asked about these questions that you have, but even then not all questions are going to be asked in all situations and new questions will arise in new situations, right? That may not ever arise for another one. It's so situational contextual that that's yeah. why and we I all love struggle a good checklist. Yeah. yeah. And I, yeah. I mean, I say that, I just want to say, I love, I love, a, I love a to-do list. I love a checklist. Yep. <laughs> I'm, I'm into it. I'm, I'm here for it for sure. <laughs> yeah. So. But not everything goes in the checklist, right. Or the to-do list and the to-do list is still always ever changing. It's never set in stone, right. It's like, Oh, I forgot about this or this new thing just cropped up when uh, this went on fire. Right. And just, it's very fluid, dynamic, situational. <laughs> and I think mm -hmm. it makes, I well, Personally, that's why I enjoy evaluation work, right? Because it's not something we can boil down to something step-by-step. Step. Yeah. And you're making me think of something too, that like, as, I mean, we're a small team and not all of our team members like work on every project, like often we're, we're working on projects solo. So for the, the solopreneurs out there, you know, we're <laughs> like, you are the one man show. Um, I would say maybe to the extent that it's possible, it can be really um, seductive to like focus on the to-do list and you're like checking the things off, but like, and I'm guilty of that. That's why I, I say it. I was like, I love a good to-do list. Um, but like the coming up for air and like getting that whatever, 50,000 foot, 100,000 foot view right. of like, why are we doing this? Like, mm -hmm. why are we doing what we're doing? What is the point of it? Um, to help balance the perspective, especially when maybe things are not, when you need to pivot. Yes, there's like some tactical things that you can think about in the moment, but it might also be worthwhile um, 
to like pick your head up and say, okay, what, what's the point again? Like, what, why are we doing this? And so sometimes I know I need to turn to somebody to do that. Maybe if you're a solopreneur, um, if it's your, if you just need to talk to the wall, talk to your dog, to phone a friend, to, you know, if, if your spouse is that person that will at least just listen to you ramble about a, you know, a project, yeah. and then you can hear yourself talk out loud. Um, I think that that is beneficial too. And that's something I've really learned from my um, boss, Rebecca, because she is much more conceptual. That's why she like does not, she can do the project managers, but she, she hates it. And I'm like, give me the weeds, like any day of the week and twice on Sunday. And I'm, I, it's much harder for me to like think at a higher level. And so she's really challenged me to do that. And that's something that I've learned from her. So for project management, you do, while it's super helpful to be detail oriented, like you kind of have to be f- to do the project management. Um, I, it's occurring to me in this moment that it can be very beneficial to every once in a while, you got to pick your head up and just think, why are we doing this? What's the purpose? Who's the audience? Like think bigger so that that way you can kind of like stay on track in a meaningful way and not get sucked into the detail. Cause it, yeah. it is very seductive, like <laughs> crossing those things off, you know, making the to-do list, checking it off. It's, oh, so good. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> I, I'm right there with you. Um, for me, that just looks like, um, I have like a half hour, 60 minutes a week where I just kind of sit, I look at my list of projects and think about like, where, where, where am I, where was I, where am I going with it? Um, and, and like what new things are on the horizon, all that thing. Um, but I also, I get the sense of through line of, of reflective practice for you in this project management, right? We started with you talking about the progressive elaboration stuff, um, and how, you know, thinking critically about the questions, thinking, you know, making sure you're providing that, um, connect, bringing that connection relationship and so on. But I'm curious, like, what does that reflective practice look like for you, um, through this project management work? Yeah. I mean, it is in sometimes what I've started to do as of late is use one of the tools that we use internally is, um, what we use Dropbox and then we use paper, and so, um, starting paper docs, <laughs> um, for reflection. So I used to do it like in a notebook, but then it was sort of, I know I didn't like it. It was like not cohesive enough. And so I'm loving now that like, cause like with paper, I have all my folders and everything. And I, I can like have then just like a, a paper doc that's dedicated to my reflection on you know, like wherever we are either in that course of the project, um, where then I'm like kind of going through everything we've done and being like, okay, this is where I think we're at. And like the being forced to type it out brings clarity because I'm, I have to be intentional about what I'm saying. And then when I read back what I wrote, I'm like, is this it? Does this make sense? And then it helps me to like refine. So I've really liked paper for that purpose. Um, and Rebecca and I have also done like debriefs, project debriefs. Um, usually that happens more when something like didn't go well than when it did go well. <laughs> like, are are these so, debriefs just the two of you or do you bring clients on with that? Well, we do our own debrief and then we occasionally use like a survey to like, see how we, you know, like 
what folks thought so that they could just like kind of, and the way we do it is like, we have a survey where like folks can provide feedback, say like once or twice a year where they're kind of like in the mix and it's like a blank, um, not not a custom survey link, you know, so that there's like some level of anonymity, but that kind of only works where we think it works best when like an engagement's like done versus like when you're in the middle, you know, cause like, I will admittedly say that we're still trying to figure out because we're like, oh, well, this project's not done yet. We should do this at the end. And it's not to say we don't kind of reflect and touch base as it's going, but like (laughs) we're trying to get better about like the, like including the client in our reflection because sometimes like we have several clients because we're small where we get repeat business where we're like, okay, like we are doing this project and then, okay, we're doing this project. And it's kind of like, you know, one project just sort of rolls into another. Mm -hmm. And so because of that, it gets harder for us to like figure out where to bring their voice into it because it feels like the project never really ends. And so that's just our own like hang up on like why we, you know, like, why do we feel like the project has to be over for, for us to like have them like rate how the project went. So we we kind of struggle with that a little bit, but we do um, use surveys as a way to like bring in the, the client voice. And then like, I will say along the way, we'll just, you know, particularly after big milestones, like if there's like a big presentation that we have to do or a report, those are usually like the two biggies. Yeah. Those are, I would say the two biggies. We, we just like reach out and we're like, Hey, what do you think went well about this? What do you, you know, what do you think could have gone better? And we just get like very immediate feedback on like the thing that, Mm -hmm. you know, like on that specific deliverable. So, but that's usually like pretty deliverable specific. So those are some of the ways that we, um, that we do it. And then, you know, through like our regular meetings, like figuring out the tenor of what is going on and like figuring out then like, Hey, it sounds like maybe we should be doing X or, you know, just sort of like probing around certain needs or things that might seem to not be going well, like as it's going on. And that's something that I would say can be hard. It can be like kind of in some ways we've grown a lot, like it can feel painful at first, maybe to like be sort of vulnerable about something that might not feel like it's going well. Like if we could all just sweep it under the rug and just keep going, like (laughs) it'll be fine, you know, but like kind of doing the painful thing and just being like, Hey, I don't know that this is really meeting your need. And I'm bringing it up in the spirit of wanting to make sure this is as useful to you as possible. And so, you know, like that's how I, I usually caveat it, um, is like, I'm bringing this up in the spirit of like, having a healthy partnership. And so I just, you know, let's just put it out there and be open to it. And it softens it for me too to make it feel like it's not critical or being, I'm being taking this criticism, but like this really truly is in the spirit of like having a good partnership. And so trying to get feedback um, along the way, if we really feel like something's not, not going very well, because like in the end, it's, it's not good to not mention it. Like, it's just, it's just going to bite you in the rear in the end. So it's better to just be like, okay, we're just going to rip off the bandaid and let's talk about the elephant in the room. Or maybe I see the elephant and they don't even see the elephant. And they're like, no, no, no. It's like, actually, no, this is, this is fine. 
and then you just like air it out. Um, so it's kind of almost better to just like do it as you're, as you're going. Okay. Agreed. Harder, yeah. but harder, much, much harder. more worth it. <laughs> yes, definitely harder. But I always tell myself like, this is good. Like this is good. You know, conflict is not bad. This is like healthy. And it's like what we do with it. Right. It's like, you know, like it's only going to be bad if I like react to it poorly. Like I just have to come at it in the spirit of like, we're going to get better. It's going to be a better partnership. So let's just, if we feel like we didn't do something right, or if something feels off, we just got to call it out. Well, I think those are all my questions about project management. Was there anything that we didn't cover that you felt would be important to let our listeners know about? I answered a lot of questions for like one-on-one for even some of our clients that have gone independent and like they're doing like the consulting thing too. And I think about some of the questions that they've asked me. And so I feel like there's always like more to talk about, but so I'll just offer up and say that like, we're really happy to like be like share in a community around this. And so like, if folks like have questions about like something that's very specific to like how they're scoping projects or how they're running something, honestly, I've found that like, talking to somebody else and just like getting a sanity check. Like, I'm not saying I'm the authority, but like, do, you know, um, I ha- have my contact information, um, that I've given to Dana and I think you'll post it. And then you can always like reach us at like glass frog tweets, like tweet at us and be like, Hey, how do you handle, like, I have some questions about project management and like, we're happy to chat it up and, you know, just be a sounding board. Um, I think we've covered a lot, but I know there's like like you said at the outset, Dana, we could have like so many conversations about this, like talking about budget, just like, build, oh God, building a budget. And, yeah. you know, we're still trying to get all these years later, we're still trying to get good at like not overburning, you know, but it's, <laughs> it's yeah. very, very, very hard. So like that could be a whole thing just in and of itself. <laughs> yeah. Well, I appreciate your willingness to um, continue the conversation with folks. I think, I think the, the, given how situational all of this is having that community of practice to be able to talk to people about those specifics to a particular project and get insights from other folks. Um, I think makes a lot of sense for a lot of people to have that sounding board and stuff. So I appreciate you offering for our listeners to provide some of that. Yeah. So I, in, in lieu of like offering up anything more than I've, I've already talked a lot, but if anyone has more questions, I would be very interested in, in chatting specifics. Awesome. Well, I think we'll go to um, some of the wrap up questions that I have. And so one thing I like to end the show with is something that um, I, I listen to code switch and I just love that podcast from NPR and they have um, a question of asking what song is giving you life right now. And I like to switch it up a little bit and what in evaluation is giving you life right now? Oh yeah. It's a, it's a good question. So, um, I was thinking about this and maybe this goes back again to the fact that I'm not a trained researcher. Like I don't, I don't have academic training, but I've been really excited to see this. I'll call it like a a sort of like widening of the lens in evaluation practices to include, um, I don't even know what to to call it, but like practices that really um, embrace um, uh, breath work 
uh, embodiment, um, sort of what we would normally consider like alternative, uh, maybe alternative to Western thinking, um, ways of, of working. Um, and that kind of started with, we, we had had, and I know you know these folks and have had them on, um, Libby um, Smith and Tiffany and, and the work that they talk about, which I, you know, I, full disclaimer, I do yoga, I go to acupuncture, I, you know, I, I have my astrology app, that's all, all the things. So <laughs> I have been really excited to see some of that starting to come into the evaluation space. Um, and maybe that's the trend or like the trajectory it was on all, all along. I don't, I don't know as someone who's like newer to the space in the last seven and a half years, but like just for where I'm at like personally and how I think I'm using like as many modalities as possible to integrate into my life and be a, a, a reflective whole, like authentic person, you know, like seeing some of these other modalities brought into evaluation, like very trans, you know, consciously, um, in some cases, transparently is, is very exciting to me. Um, as well as, um, the, like, just learning more about like participatory evaluation is like, very, very exciting to me. And so I've tried wherever it's appropriate in some of our scoping work to say like, how can we do this in the most participatory way possible? And like, that can be hard sometimes because like that usually takes time, right? And it takes money <laughs> um, because it's more voices. It, it, it extends the lead time, but like, I'm really like, even though that's not my training, I'm like, how can we, how can we do more of that? And I've been really excited to just read about others work in that space and just know it exists. And I'm consuming as much information as I can about it just for my own personal development. So I, yeah. that's really exciting to me right now. Yeah. Thank you for bringing that up. I feel like now I need to have Libby on because uh, I do breath work with her um, not as regularly as I used to, but that's, it's been a really good um, reflective practice for me. I'm a very go, go, go fast, um, person. <laughs> and, um, it's really helped me slow down and be more critical and thoughtful and reflective in my work. And so, yeah, I appreciate you bringing that up. And I think we need to explore that more and how it can, um, not just improve our practice, but improve who we are as, as human beings in this world. So I appreciate mm -hmm. that. Thank you. Yeah. Cause we bring ourselves to the work. Like, yeah. and so I've been saying that lately with clients, like in the last year, especially since the pandemic, like when we've kicked off projects with new clients and just saying, um, like having intention, you know, like we have our project kickoff, but like really making space to have, to have them talk about themselves or setting up some sort of icebreaker that doesn't feel too like, an icebreaker, yeah. you know, <laughs> um, <laughs> like, wah, wah, I don't want to do this. Um, but, you know, prefacing it with like, we bring our whole selves to this work and like all of us. And so let's just acknowledge that at the outset. And, um, and I think I'm, I'm picking up on some of those cues that like others in the space that are, I think are really trendsetters, like the Libby's and the Tiffany's and, and those folks, like, I'm like, okay, what's my take on this? Like, how can I make my small little impact in yeah. this way um, with my, you know, little slice of the, of the world and my slice of knowledge? I, um, I feel like I should also mention to listeners, anybody who went to the AEA conference, there was a wonderful session on 
Friday of the conference. It was one of the morning sessions and it was uh, Vidya Shankar, Aisha Rios and um, Giovanni Dazzo, I think. And I apologize if I got that last name wrong. Um, they did a session where they talked about some experiences they had in evaluation and went through this framework. And I, I, I'm blanking on the name of the framework, but thinking about um, like savoring, not savoring, that's not the right word, but really thinking about how they've experienced that personally and then how the how they experience it as a listener recipient of that story. And it was just such a, I, I have to go watch it again and listen to it again, but it was such a powerful experience of bringing this somatic awareness, this embodiment and it like into the conference at AEA. Like, I'm not sure how often that has happened before, but it felt a little um, um, different than what we might've normally expected at the conference. So I, I just want to make sure our listeners listen to that. Cause that was just a really powerful, powerful session. Fantastic. I love it. It's yeah. It feels like there's more and more out there and I'm, I'm here for it. Okay. Well to wrap up, is there anything else coming up for you? Anything fun or personal or professional or otherwise that you are excited about and want to share with our listeners? Oh, well, I don't, I think this episode will probably drop after the Thanksgiving holiday, but, um, we're recording it before Thanksgiving, like right, you know, just before a week before. So, um, I am excited to see, family this year. It's, it's, it'll be a real small gathering, but, um, I'm looking forward to it. It'll be nice. Good. I'm glad you're able to find some family time. Yeah. I saw my parents for the first time this summer, but, um, yeah, it's been hard not seeing family and that's usually the time I get to see all the extended folks. So yeah. Nice. Well, Jen, thank you so much. I really appreciated you sharing so much with us today about project management. And I, I was so right. There was all this new, incredible information on our second episode. And maybe we're going to have to do a third because I'm sure the, the, the learning will still happen. <laughs> yep. I'm uh, eager to hear what um, your first guest has to say. And I'm here for it for any of the other um, expertise of other folks, because I don't know it all and I'm constantly learning. So um, I'll be excited to listen in. Yeah. And thank you so much again for coming on. Oh, thank you for having me. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Please visit the podcast website at evaluland.fireside.fm where you can subscribe to get notified of new episodes and contact us with your questions, comments, or suggestions. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time, this has been Evaluland.